Welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 191, They Shall Be One Flesh. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. In Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 21, we are getting the story of Adam and Eve. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Why is the union of Adam and Eve one of the first things that we read in the entirety of all of Scripture? In Genesis chapter 2, the first event that happened in the first man who ever lived on the earth was marriage to his wife, Eve. Now, I don't think that Heavenly Father does anything on accident, and the fact that this is the first major event that happens to Adam after he is put upon the earth is no accident. Marriage is an essential part of the plan of salvation. And I love that it is made obvious in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam was not made whole until he was united with Eve. They shall be one flesh. Now, I know that everyone listening to me isn't necessarily married, but ask yourself, whether you're married or not, is that how you think of marriage? It's certainly not a socially acceptable way, culturally in general in the United States, to think of marriage that way. We tend to be very individualistic. We want to say to ourselves, to each other, that we are complete and whole without a man or without a woman, that we are enough for ourselves. Now, while that is the circumstance that many people find themselves in, it also remains true that even though that's okay, that everything doesn't necessarily work out exactly the way that you want it to work out here in this life, it still doesn't mean that completion has happened. The plan of salvation, exaltation, depends on an eternal marriage, and we will all have the opportunity to participate in that covenant. In the manual teachings of Harold B. Lee, in chapter 12, the question is asked, why is eternal marriage essential for our exaltation? Before we answer that question, I want you to think about who our Heavenly Father is and how He came to be our Father. He came to be your father, the father of your spirit, jointly with our Heavenly Mother. He didn't make your spirit by himself. I don't know how that works. But there's some sort of process that involves our Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father that created your spirit. As we know, all things spiritual have a physical representation. When our bodies are created, there is a union between man and woman. And so the correlation has to be that when spirits are are created, there is a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. And our goal is to become like our heavenly father and heavenly mother. Clearly, in order for us to live the quality of life, the same kind of life as our heavenly father eventually, there needs to be that union because our destiny is ultimately to have endless posterity. So no wonder 
Satan attacks the union between a man and a woman. No wonder we are being fooled into thinking that anything else could be equivalent. It is quite literally an attack on the end goal of our existence. It is an attack on our exaltation. Okay, back to the Harold B. Lee manual. Why is eternal marriage essential for our exaltation? It says, let us consider the first marriage that was performed after the earth was organized. Adam, the first man, had been created as well as the beasts and the fowls and every living thing upon the earth. And then find this recorded. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. After the Lord had formed Eve, he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she is taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. With the completion of that marriage, the Lord commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Here was a marriage performed by the Lord between two immortal beings. For until sin entered the world, their bodies were not subject to death. He made them one not merely for time, nor for any definite period. They were to be one throughout the eternal ages. Death to them was not a divorce. It was only a temporary separation. Resurrection to immortality meant for them a reunion, and an eternal bond never again to be severed. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If you have carefully followed an explanation of this first marriage, you are prepared to understand the revelation given to the church in our generation in these words. If a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, and it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise, by him who is anointed, unto whom I have appointed this power and keys of the priesthood, it shall be done unto them in all things, whatsoever my servant hath put upon them in time throughout all eternity, and shall be of full force when they are out of the world. And they shall pass by the angels and the gods which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things as hath been sealed upon their heads. Marriage for time and for eternity is the straight gate and the narrow way spoken of in the scriptures that leadeth unto exaltation and the continuation of the lives and few there be that find it. But broad is the gate and wide is the way that leadeth to the deaths and many there are that go in thereat. If Satan and his hosts can persuade you to take the broad way of the worldly marriage that ends with death, he has defeated you in your opportunity for the highest degree of eternal happiness through marriage and an increase throughout eternity. Again, remember, that is the goal, is eternal happiness through marriage and increase posterity throughout eternity. It should now be clear to your reasoning why the Lord declared that in order to obtain the highest degree in celestial glory, a person must enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. If he does not, he cannot obtain it. Those who make themselves worthy and enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in the temple for time and all eternity will be laying the first cornerstone for an eternal family home in the celestial kingdom that will last forever. Their reward is to have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. And what is that glory? It is eternal posterity. For Heavenly Father's children, for His Spirit children, for His only physical Son, Jesus Christ, what was His stated purpose on the earth? Jesus said over and over again that His purpose was to bring glory to the Father. And that is also our purpose. That should be our goal, is to bring glory to the Father. And that keeps going forever. 
Heavenly Father will have eternal posterity because as we become as he is, we will then continue to have eternal posterity. And our posterity is his posterity. And glory will be added upon our Heavenly Father forever through us. Okay, what you say does this have to do with Come Follow Me this week? So Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man also by the woman, but all things of God. So there again, Paul is teaching that principle, that eternal truth consistent with Genesis chapter 2. For those of you that are married or those of you who aren't, think about your future companion. Is that the way you think about your marriage? And if you don't right now, that's okay. Just as we are all on this mortal journey individually, becoming more and more who we want to become, using the atonement along the way, and we're not there yet. And I don't know about you, but I really can't picture myself as a perfected being. I just can't. I I imagine that it's not that weird that we also can't imagine that right now for a lot of our marriages. I have a hard time picturing my husband and I achieving that level of of a marriage just not because like I think we have a great marriage. I think we have a beautiful marriage. I think we have a righteous marriage. I think that we have have the same goals and aspirations. I think we are dedicated to our heavenly Father, but I just my mind is limited. I just can't I believe it. I have faith in it, but I can't quite picture the reality of it. And I know that if you're struggling in your marriage, that might be hard to picture right now. But I think having faith and believing in that ultimate goal is the first step. You know, like Alma 32 says, where it says, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. Do you hope for that to be true in your marriage or in your future marriage? I hope for that to be true for us. I don't have a perfect knowledge of that, but I have faith and I hope for those things which I cannot see yet. Continuing, and now behold, I say unto you that I would that ye should remember that God is merciful unto all who believe on his name. I know that that gives me hope as my husband and I are not perfect in our marriage. But I know that that's our goal. And I know that God is merciful. Alma continues, Now, as I said, concerning faith, that it was not a perfect knowledge, even so it is with my words, ye cannot know of their surety at first unto perfection. Any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. But behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, how might you experiment on that possibility, on believing that that could happen for you and your husband, that your marriage could become something worthy of exaltation, of celestial glory. And sorry, sometimes when I talk, I forget that I'm not, I'm, I'm a woman, but some of you listening are men. So you and your wife, even if you can no more than desire to believe, let this desire to work in you. I believe that anyone listening to my voice desires that to be true of their marriage that it can be something holy, something sanctifying. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that you will resist the Spirit of the Lord. 
Do we ever resist the Spirit of the Lord in our marriage? I know for sure that I do. Behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. That belief, that faith in that future will increase. And when you begin to feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. If we in our marriages can catch hold of the vision that our heavenly father has for our marriages, what would that do to our lives? What would that do to our relationships? How would that expand and enlarge our vision for the future? How would that change how we treat our marriage, how we prioritize our marriage? Alma continues, Now behold, would not this increase your faith? So as you begin to catch on to that vision, wouldn't that start to increase your faith? Yea, nevertheless, it hath not grown up to a perfect knowledge. But behold, as the seed swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, Then you must needs say that the seed is good, for behold, it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now, behold, will this not strengthen your faith? Yea, it will strengthen your faith, for ye will say, I know that this is a good seed, for behold, it sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now, behold, are ye sure that this is a good seed? I say unto you, Yea, for every seed bringeth forth unto its own likeness. Therefore, if a seed groweth, it is good, but if it groweth not, behold, it is not good, therefore cast it away. As your faith grows, that your marriage has a bigger future, as you start to truly believe that, what kind of fruits will that start to bring in your marriage? Good fruits. It will. Experiment on that. I know that that is true. And now behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing. And your faith is dormant, because now you know, for ye know that the word has swelled your souls. Yea, ye also know that it has sprouted us and that your understanding doth begin to be enlightened, and your mind doth begin to expand. I think it's so cool to think that as mind-boggling as our potential futures are to me, is to me, that as I experiment on the Word, as I grow my testimony of this future that Heavenly Father says, promises me, can happen, that my mind will begin to expand and I will be enlightened. I'm excited to better grasp that concept and to be enlightened. He continues, Oh, then is this not real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light and whatsoever is light is good because it is discernible. Therefore, ye must know that it is good. And now behold, after ye have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect? He continues, but we're going to stop there. This reminds me of something Paul said earlier. He said, In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. This light, this goodness, this truth about our eternal marriages can be clearly seen. He continues, Being understood by the things that are made, meaning us, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I believe that Heavenly Father wants to reveal to us the eternal and sacred nature of our marriages. He wants us to be enlightened and expanded and believe and see the potential of this union that we have entered into or will enter into. But in order for us to see that and believe it and feel the the sacred nature of marriage, 
we have to be pretty clear about the differences between men and women. And I don't mean arbitrary differences because, of course, we know that each man and woman are different. And there might not be stereotypes that that fit perfectly with any one person. But there are differences between men and women. Each has a divine role and destiny and purpose. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. This is the pattern that the Lord has set up for a purpose. For here on the earth, this is how bodies are made, with a man and a woman coming together. And that is how spirit children, in exaltation, are made. I don't know how, but it requires a man and a woman. And that is exaltation, eternal increase, creation. President Thomas S. Monson said in The Enzyme of January 1971, What the modernists, even the liberationists, fail to remember is that women, in addition to being persons, also belong to a sex, and that with the differences in sex are associated important differences in function and behavior. Equality of rights does not imply identity of functions. Elder Dallin H. Oaks, in conference October 1993, said, We live in a day when there are many political, legal, and social pressures for changes that confuse gender and homogenize the differences between men and women. Our eternal perspective sets us against that altar, those who separate duties and privileges of men and women that are essential to accomplish the great plan of happiness. We do not oppose all changes in treatment of men and women, since some changes in laws and customs simply correct old wrongs that were never grounded in eternal principles. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said in conference April 1978, and this first part I just love so much, We know so little, dear brothers and sisters, about the reasons for the division of duties between womanhood and manhood, as well as between motherhood and priesthood. These were divinely determined in another time and in another place. We know so little. God's ways are higher than our ways. We do not fully understand. And I guess the hope is, is that we can have faith that he does, that he understands why men and women have differences, why we have different roles, and that we will get to figure that out eventually. And our job here on the earth right now is to have faith that he knows better than us and to not pridefully decide that we know better than him, that this is an antiquated idea. Heavenly Father has purpose in all things. He knows exactly the way that we can become like him. He knows exactly our functions and purpose and why it has to be the way that it has to be. Elder Maxwell continues, We men know the women of God as wives, mothers, sisters, daughters, associates, and friends. You seem to tame us and to gentle us, and yes, to teach us and inspire us. For you, we have admiration as well as affection, because righteousness is not a matter of role nor goodness, a matter of gender. In the work of the kingdom, men and women are not without each other, but do not envy each other, lest by reversals and reunications of roles we make a wasteland of both womanhood and manhood. Ugh, don't you love that last part? In the work of the kingdom, men and women are not without each other, but do not envy each other, lest by reversals and reunications of role we make a wasteland of both womanhood and manhood. That is what Satan is doing right now. He is attacking womanhood and manhood. We cannot let him make a wasteland of both womanhood and manhood in our own minds, let alone the world. 
Boyd K. Packer said in conference April 1998, A man, a father, can do much of what is usually assumed to be a woman's work. In turn, a wife and a mother can do much, and in time of need, most things usually considered the responsibility of the man, without jeopardizing their distinct roles. Even so, leaders, and especially parents, should recognize that there is a distinct masculine nature and a distinct feminine nature essential to the foundation of the home and the family. Whatever disturbs or weakens or tends to erase that difference erodes the family and reduces the probability of happiness for all concerned. Merrill J. Bateman, in a book called The Eternal Family, starting in page 113, when a man understands how glorious a woman is, he treats her differently. When a woman understands that a man has the seeds of divinity within him, she honors him not only for who he is, but for who he may become. An understanding of the divine nature allows each person to have respect for the other. The eternal view engenders a desire in men and women to learn from and share with each other. Men and women complement each other, not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. The Apostle Paul taught that the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, and through them both the children are made holy. Men and women have different strengths and weaknesses, and marriage is a synergistic relationship in which spiritual growth is enhanced because of the differences. I want to end with a quote from James E. Faust, entitled How Near to the Angels in Enzyme, May 1998. Listen to this first phrase. Hold your soul very still and listen to the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. Follow the noble, intuitive feelings planted deep within your souls by deity in the previous world. In this way, you will be responding to the Holy Spirit of God and will be sanctified by truth. If, as man and wife, we hold our souls very still, and listen to the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. We will follow the noble, intuitive feelings planted deep within your soul. And those promises that are made to us about our future, about our marriage's future, can and will be fulfilled. But that can only happen as we embrace and appreciate what we bring to the table as men and as women and we approach our marriage with charity, which is the pure love of Christ. Charity for each other, grace for each other, forgiveness for each other. I'm going to read to end here, Moroni 7, 47 through 48. And as I read it, I want you to apply it to a marriage. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. If we have charity in our marriages, that endures forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. Don't you think that that can be applied to a couple? An exalted couple surely will be in possession of charity, of the pure love of Christ. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart, that ye may be filled with this love which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God and daughters of God, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. Amen. I have faith that this can be fulfilled for us individually, 
And as we become one with our spouse or future spouse, that that can be fulfilled for us together. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.